Good morning, church. Good to see you guys. Glad y'all are here. I appreciate you taking time out of busy schedules to come to church and to sing with us and to worship with us and to fellowship together. It'll make it better. It'll make the day better and make the week better because you're here, I promise. Well, um, if I count it right, I've got two more shots at you. I get to shoot at you today, and then I get to shoot at you next Sunday, and then you can talk bad about me because I, I won't be here. And I'm going to miss being here. I'm going to miss seeing you. I'll talk some more about that next week if I still miss you next week. But, but today I think I'm going to miss you. And uh, I appreciate you being so kind to me and nice to me and encouraging to me and tolerating of me. Uh, it, is, it is a good thing. I have no doubt um, that First Baptist Enid's best days are ahead, not behind, but ahead of you. And I, I, I look forward to hearing great things about this church. I have no idea who your next pastor is going to be, and it's okay. I don't have to know. Uh, God knows. He's been preparing that rascal for quite a while to come and lead you. And I'm going to talk some about that next week as well. But when he gets here, you follow him. Um, you follow him and watch what God can do. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah uh, chapter 43. Uh, an important passage of Scripture, one that I have gone back to many times because of the great truth that is there and the great challenge that is there. Isaiah chapter 43. Let's, uh, let, let's pray together, and then I'm going to tell you a little story, and then we can read out of Isaiah chapter 43. Father God, we are grateful for today, grateful for your great love. You are a good, good Father who does good, good things. We thank you, Father, that although our sins are many, your mercy is more. What a great truth that is. What a great encouragement that is. And God, I thank you that when we've confessed our sins and they've been forgiven, that you choose to remember them no more. God, I'm not sure how all that works, but your word said it does, so I believe it, and I'm thankful for it. Help us this morning, Father, as we look into your word, that we would do so with an open heart and and an open mind, um, God, that we would see this word as coming from you, uh, perfect and, and pure and wonderful, um, preserved just as you wanted it to be for us to have in our hands this morning. God, thank you that you love us enough to give us this word, give us the ability to understand this word and to comprehend it, and God, given us the ability to act upon it. We love you, Father, and we give you praise. In the blessed name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen, and all the Lord's people said. Amen. I'm going to tell you just a quick story. It's a true story about a sister church. When Charles Spurgeon was 19 years old, he became pastor of New Park Street Baptist Chapel in London, England. At that time, there were about 200 people, give or take, in attendance. But interestingly enough, nine years later, they built what's called the Metropolitan Tabernacle to accommodate some 6,000 people. Spurgeon was pastor of that church for 38 years. And while he pastored that church, there were more than 14,500 people that were added to the church. It was the most unique church. Metropolitan Tabernacle reached the, the, the poorest people of London and reached members of Parliament from London. 
that building still stands today. That facility still stands today. But, but if you were to go to the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London today, you would discover that if they seldom exceed 150 in attendance. And indeed, indeed that, that church has become a museum more than a mission center. It has lost its way. If you think about that with me for just a moment, one of the things that we learn from that, that story of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, is that the world changed. London changed. England changed. The people changed. But for whatever reason, the church didn't. And because the church didn't change, she became irrelevant in the city that God had planted her. Because the church refused to change, the church began this decline into death. You say, well, Joe, what did God intend? Ah, that's a question for you. Let me show you what God intended. In Isaiah chapter 43, and we'll pick up the story in about verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, is about to speak to us. We should pay attention. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse and army and warrior. They lay down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things and consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. You should underline that. Behold, God says, pay attention, look, watch this, God says. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. What an interesting passage of Scripture. Behold, the Lord says, I do a new thing. Pay attention, God says. I'm doing something brand new. You see, in verse 19, God promises to do a new thing. You say, well, Joe, why would God want to do a new thing? I think it's important to remember that God actually likes new things. In fact, I would take it a step further and tell you that not only does God like new things, I'm quite convinced that the Scripture teaches beyond a doubt that God actually prefers new things. In fact, he always seems to be doing something different. Let me give you a few examples of the different things, the new things that God has done. Have you ever thought about the fact that creation was a brand new thing? That when God spoke the universe into existence, that that had never happened before? No one had ever spoken a universe into existence and God did that as a new thing? Jesus coming in the flesh in the gospel accounts, brand new thing, that had never happened. The events of of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that's a brand new thing. Did you know that at least six times in the book of Psalms, the psalmist says, I will sing a new song? How about that? Does that hurt your feelings? The psalmist says, I'm going to sing a new song. Revelation speaks about a new earth and a new heaven and a new name and a new body. Uh, the Bible speaks to us in, in Revelation 21.5 where God says, behold, I make all things new. You see, at salvation, 
even at salvation, old things pass away and all things become new. Maybe God does prefer the new thing. Maybe God does prefer the new thing. And as you think about that, I would suggest to you that there are a lot of people and a lot of churches that need something new. And the reason we need something new is because the old way just isn't cutting it anymore. The way we've always done things in the past just isn't working anymore. And you know the definition of insanity as well as I know it. And the definition of insanity is doing the same old things the same old way and expecting different results. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get different results by doing the same old things the same old way. And so I've come this morning to encourage you, to remind you, to speak into you the fact that God wants to do a new thing. He wants to do a new thing in your life. He wants to do a new thing in your marriage. He wants to do a new thing in your family. Friend, it may very well be that God wants to do a new thing in your church. But i got to warn you, when God does the new thing, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Did you know? Did you know, for example, that when when God had Moses lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, that there was a way for them to get to the promised land without going through the Red Sea? Did you know that? There was another path that they could have taken. And yet God put them on this path where they would get up on the shore of the Red Sea and look behind them and see those mad Egyptians coming on those Egyptian chariots. So why in the world would God do that? Why would God take them on this route? Because again, there was another way. Why would he take them on this route that would get them trapped between the Red Sea and these mad Egyptians? Why would he do that? See, I think the reason he did that, he he was up to something. God was going to show them something brand new. What looked like a detour was really going to be a demonstration of God's power. What looked like an obstacle was actually going to be an opportunity for them to see God do something that no one had ever seen before. You see, God does the new thing. Sometimes God does the old thing in a new way. In this passage that we just read, he, he talks about making a path in the mighty warrior, uh, in the mighty waters. Now we know that is about, we know that's about the Red Sea, but if you keep reading, he's going to start talking about the Jordan River. You remember when the people of Israel stood on the, the banks of the flooded Jordan River? Not just the Jordan River, but the flooded river, right? It was out of its banks. It was crazy. And they were supposed to cross that and move into the promised land. You remember the story? Nobody remembers the story. You should go read the story. It's crazy. It is a crazy story. Now, their history with God, when you come upon water impediments, the history with God was for God to split it, right? Remember the Red Sea story? So you've got to imagine as they get to the, to the flooded Jordan River that everybody's thinking, oh, we've been here before. Don't worry about it. God's going to split it. God didn't split it. God did not split the Jordan River. He went upstream and stopped it. 
You see, the same, the, the result was the same. The people of Israel got to cross on dry ground. It wasn't even muddy. They crossed on dry ground. But remember that God didn't do at the Jordan River what he did at the Red Sea. He made a way, but he made that way in a very different way. You see, sometimes God does a new thing. Sometimes he does an old thing in a new way. But just remember that God really is into doing the new thing in your life, in your marriage, in your family, and in your church. Some of y'all don't look terribly excited about the prospect of God doing a new thing. I understand that. I, I truly do. It's interesting that every time that God does something new, there always seems to be somebody there saying, well, that's not going to happen. God can't do that. It's what, what I would call the naysayers, someone that's there to try to oppose it. I mean, even today, people oppose creation, right? Even today, people say creation is just a fairy tale. The way we all got here was through evolution. See, they've got to come up with another excuse to take God out of the equation. Sometimes people uh, uh, oppose incarnation by, by saying that, 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 that Jesus was not the result of the Holy Spirit and Mary, but some Roman soldier in Mary. People try to oppose the resurrection by saying that, 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 that the, the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus. People will oppose the rapture by saying that the UFOs must have come and snatched us out of here. I don't know what that, what that opposition is going to be about, but just know that every time God does something new, there are naysayers, there are people that are opposed to it, trying to explain it away. Even today in the church, when God gets ready to do something new, we often come up with objections about why, about why it can't be done. Sometimes, sometimes we hang on so desperately to the past. Have I offended you yet? Sometimes we hang on so desperately to the old ways of doing things that we miss out on the new thing that God wants to do. The sad thing is that there are just too many churches today that are choosing their past over their future. This next statement I'm going to make is going to hurt your feelings. And if you're offended, you come by later and apologize. The sad thing is, there are too many churches today, hang on now, choosing their tradition over their children and their grandchildren. God wants to do a new thing. God is always about the business of doing a new thing. Look again at what Isaiah 43, 18 says. Again, the previous verses were about the, the Red Sea and the Jordan River. Now look at 4318. Can God really be telling us to forget about the Red Sea situation and the Jordan River situation? Can he really be saying to us, just, just forget about it? Don't, don't remember those. No, no, no. I think what God is actually saying is that what he was about to do, what was, a, what was about to occur was so much greater than anything that had happened before that the comparison to the old would be like nothing at all. You might as well just forget about what I've done because of what I am about to do. Now, does that mean that we don't ever go back and study the Red Sea or the Jordan? Of course not. Of course not. I think it's a comparison thing. 
that as great as those miracles were, as amazing as those things were, they are going to pale in comparison to what God is going to do. And in the days ahead, we're going to be talking more about what God is doing than what God has done. Could it be that the reason that so many of us still can't get over the miracles of the Red Sea and the Jordan River is because we haven't allowed God to do the new thing in our time? Could it be that the reason, the reason we continue to talk about the miracles of the Old Testament is because we really haven't seen any miracles in our day? Could it be? Could it be that the reason so many churches are floundering these days is because they're stuck in the past? with no desire to look to the future. I listen, I know change is hard. I know change is hard in Southern Baptist churches. I get it. I pastored one for 20 years. 20 years. And what I learned is that really the Southern Baptist church isn't against change. Really it's not. I mean, if the church isn't against light bulbs being changed, as long as somebody else does it, They're not against uh, changing a flat tire on the church van as long as somebody else does it. They're not even against changing dirty diapers in the nursery as long as somebody else does it. And they're certainly not opposed to changing a pastor who talks about change all the time. But you see, church, at some time, at some moment, we have to think about what's coming next. Who's coming next? Because I'm going to tell you, in rural Oklahoma and in our small communities, we're losing a lot of churches. It's kind of like the last one out, turn off the lights. Last one out, better lock the door. And that grieves my heart. And it hurts my spirit. Because we need those churches in rural Oklahoma. We need those churches in our small towns. They are points of light that direct people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many of the times when those lights go out, the gospel presence goes away. You see, friends, we've got to be open to the possibility that God has something new that he wants to do. That God has a new thing that he wants to spring on you. That God has a new way that he wants you to try. And that's hard. I get it. I know it. I feel it. The older I get, the more I know it. But I'm going to tell you, things that stay the same in this world are things that are dying. God has a new thing, a brand new thing that he wants to do at First Baptist Enon. You know, as churches and individuals, we need to learn from the past, but we can't live in the past. We need to learn the legacy of the faith of our fathers. We need to read the scripture and see how people acted in faith. Of course we do, but the reality is we can't live off of somebody else's faith. The reality is we can't even live off of our faith from last year. Faith is an ever-present thing. Faith is a now thing. 
You see, the, the, the difficulty is if we're stuck in the past, we're going to miss God's present work. If we're stuck in the past, then we're not going to see God today. If we're stuck in the past, then, then we'll miss the new thing today that God wants to do. And I, and, I, and I would say to you, friends, I can think of no greater need for any of us than to see God work. Individually, we need to see that. In our marriages, we need to see that. In our families, we need to see that. In our churches, we need to see that. We need to see him do something new. And that takes courage. And it takes boldness. And it takes a willingness just to fall flat on your face. But God has a way when the church stands up to move forward. God has a way of smoothing out the ground and making it work. You know, one of the things, what time is it? One of the things that, that we were able to do at First Baptist Marlowe is we began to turn the attention of the church from an inward focus to an outward focus. And I understand that, that human nature is to turn inward. And because it is in a lot of our churches, the resources of the church are spent on the church because we're turned inward. So you have to turn it outward. You have to intentionally find ways to, to change the focus of the church from on the church to on the community around the church. You have to kind of change the focus of how we're going to spend our resources, the, the things that God has given us. Listen, one of the things we learned at Marlowe is that God didn't give us the stuff that he gave us for First Baptist Marlowe's sake. He gave us the stuff that he gave us for the community's sake. And it was not until we learned that and learned to begin to give that away that God began to show up and do some crazy things. You know, one of the, one of the craziest things is we, we decided one day that we were going to go down to the local grocery store and make a, make a deal with them. And, and the deal was going to be on a particular Saturday out in the future, we were going to be there from 8 o'clock in the morning till 12 noon. And everybody that came in the church on that particular morning, that particular, I mean, everybody that came in the grocery store on that particular Saturday morning, we were going to pay for their first $50 worth of groceries. Had a little lady to church. Her name is Sherry Calloway. She's a great, great lady. Knew the scripture, godly woman. And we were in a business meeting when I said, hey, this, I think we need to go down to the grocery store and buy everybody's $50 worth of groceries. And, and Sherry said, Brother Joe, do you have any idea what that'll cost? And I said, uh, no, no, I don't, have a, I don't have a clue. She said, well, what do you think? I said, I don't know, $10,000. She said, I don't care what it costs. I'm just curious what you thought. I said, oh, maybe $10,000. And the church said, yeah, let's go spend $10,000. So we set the date and, and publicized it. I got there at the grocery store that morning. By the way, the local grocery store owner absolutely loved this idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a Baptist, but he sure liked First Baptist Marlowe. So we got there that morning. I got there a little before seven and there were 425 people in line. They had been lined up since 2 o'clock that morning. And I got all kinds of stories from that morning um, that we don't have time to tell today. But I will tell you this one. About an hour into our four-hour strategy, and by the way, we had the church was there. 
We were sacking groceries and carrying groceries to the car, and we were restocking shelves. And actually, had some retired butchers in the church, and they were in the they were in the back uh, putting meat out on. I mean, the the church was there in in full glory. About an hour, hour and a half into that morning, the grocery store owner came to me with this little strip of paper, like off of an adding machine. Some of y'all are old enough to remember those. He said, "Would you like to know how much you've spent so far?" I said, "Yeah." Because, man, we were killing it. People were getting those $50 worth of free groceries. An hour and a half into this deal, he hands me this little strip. And he said, here it is. And I looked, and it was 19000 some odd dollars. And I went, in, I went into pure panic mode. Like, like <laughs> and, and, and there were three deacons standing around. I know that's hard to imagine deacons just standing around when work was happening. But that's, that's, and if you're a deacon, that's a joke. It is a joke. But but these three deacons are standing there, and, and they said, what's going on, Joe? And I said, we've spent more than we said we were going to spend. And they said, well, how much? I said, well, we said we we're going to spend about 10000 We've spent about 19000 We've got about two and a half hours to go. What do you think we should do? And all three of those men said, we keep going. And I said, but... But we've spent almost twice as much as we said we were going to spend, and we got two and a half hours to go. And they said, Joe, you don't have any choice. You've got to keep going. Of course, it wasn't their job on the line. It was my job on the line. <laughs> so if it's not your job on the line, it's easy to have faith. You know, you, your faith grows if it's somebody else that's taking the shot. And I said, well, all right, let's go. Let's go. And we finished. We did the four hours that morning. And the next Sunday morning, I stood in front of the church, and I said, y'all remember I told you that the grocery buy-down was going to cost about $10,000. Yeah, that's what you told us, Joe. Man, it was great. Best $10,000 we've ever spent. (laughs) And then I said, well, church, we didn't spend $10,000. We spent $40,000. And the church stood and applauded. They got to give away $40,000. Now, the good news is we had it. We had it in the bank. We gave away $40,000. And it was that event, I think, that began to turn the attention of the church to the community. Because as we were serving those people that came to get groceries, we met people that we had never met before. Before we started sending them into the store, I was standing there with the people that had been in line since about 2 o'clock. And one of them said, Brother Joe, and he didn't go to church with us, but I'd been pastor in Marlow long enough. I was kind of a community pastor. Brother Joe. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, hey, this $50, can, can um, we buy dog food with that? And we'd already made the decision that we weren't going to allow them to spend the money on tobacco products or alcoholic beverages. They sold beer. Can you believe they sold beer in their grocery store? Couldn't, couldn't buy tobacco products, couldn't buy alcoholic beverages, couldn't buy deli food, but anything else in the store was fair game. And he said, can we buy dog food? I said, listen, sir, you can buy anything in there except tobacco products, 
alcoholic beverages or deli food. So he said, it's okay if I buy dog food? I said, listen, buddy, don't buy tobacco products, can't buy alcoholic beverages, no deli food. He said, so you don't care if I buy dog food? What are we doing? I said, listen, you can't buy tobacco products, you can't buy alcoholic beverages, you can't buy deli food, and I feel somebody poking me on, on my back. I turn around and look, and it's the owner of the grocery store. And he said, Joe, you know that a lot of people in this line buy dog food and eat it every week because it's a high source of cheap protein. That's happening in our town. And I don't know how many bags of dog food we carried out that day. But it put our church in a position to see our community in ways that we had never seen it. And to know the people of our community in ways that we had never known them. And there were a few old soreheads in the church that didn't like it. But you know what? There's always a few old soreheads. You just can't let the soreheads stop you from doing what you need to be doing. It was a brand new thing for us. We did it the next year. By the way, I told them that second time around, it's probably going to cost $40,000 or more. <laughs> Church said, let's go do it. As we were getting ready to do it, we had some, a few old sore heads that said, well, Joe, what are we going to do about, about, about husbands getting $50 worth of free groceries and their wives getting $50 worth of free groceries? What are we going to do about that, Joe? I said, nothing. What do you mean, nothing? Nothing. Nothing ain't for me to sort out. That's between them and God. We'll let God sort that out. What we're going to do is give away the resources that God has given us to help our community. It's a true story. It's a true story. It wasn't too long after that I had a phone call in the office of a man that ran a commercial electrical company there in Marlowe, did a lot of industrial oil field kind of work. He and I talked about Jesus on many occasions. I'd witnessed to him, and he wanted to get baptized, but he wanted me to do it during the week when there wasn't anybody at the church, and I wouldn't do that. I'm just, I'm an old sorehead. I wasn't going to do that. He called me one afternoon, and he said, Joe, we've had a horrible Accident on the job site, I have three guys at Baptist Burn Center that are not going to survive. Would you go up there? I said, yep, tell me who they are. I didn't know these men. I didn't know their families. Jumped in the truck and drove to the city, got to Baptist Hospital, went to the Burn Center. There were some the wives and some of the older children are in the hallway. I walked right into the middle of that because that's what you do when you minister. I said, hey, I'm Joe Ligon. First Baptist Marlowe, I heard, heard there's been an accident. The wives are staring at me like, what can you do? Is there anything you can do? And, and I said to them, I can't, is it okay if I go in and pray with your husbands? To this day, I don't, I don't know that those men were saved. One of them survived, the other two didn't. But I went in and prayed with them and came back out in the hall and prayed with their wives. And one of the women said, uh, Brother Joe... I wasn't her pastor. I'd just been pastor in Marlowe a long time. She said, Brother Joe, 
have some family in the waiting room. Would you would you be willing to go in and pray with them? I said, sure, let's, let's go. I, I follow her into the waiting room thinking there's going to be a little group of four or five people. And I walk into this waiting room and it is it is wall-to-wall people. And they're talking and laughing and carrying on like you do in those situations. And this woman that I, that has, that I followed into the room begins to yell at them, try to get their attention. She's whistling and yelling and clapping her hands and and I and finally she gets everybody quiet. And she said, This is Joe Ligon. He pastors that church in Marlowe that does what churches are supposed to do. And he wants to pray with you. And I walked out of that hospital a broken man thrilled that I got to be a part of a church who was giving it away and making a difference in the lives of people that they didn't even know. First Baptist Enid, God has a new thing. A new thing. And your new pastor is going to be the one that's going to lead you to that new thing. And I'm going to encourage you to get off your pew and get on your feet and go with him. Go take the gospel to the darkest parts of your community. Go take the gospel to the most broken places in this area. Go give it away. Because at the end of the day, friends, it ain't yours anyway. It's easy to give away stuff that belongs to somebody else. Right? All that money, all that money that we gave away wasn't our money. It was God's. He was just piling it up at First Baptist Marlowe. And we'd give it away and he'd pile up some more. And we'd figure out some other way to give it away and he'd pile up some more. There were years that we gave away over a half million dollars in Marlowe and Stevens County. It wasn't about look at us. It wasn't about, ooh, look at that first Baptist Marlowe. No, it was about look at God and look at the resources God has and look at how he's piling it up here and every time he piles it up here we've got it we get to decide how we're going to give it away and it was a brand new thing for us and church I'm going to tell you again I cannot imagine a greater need for the local church than to see God work and to see him do something today You see, the result of not experiencing that new thing is found in verse 19. The the result of not seeing God work today, look in verse 19, the result of not seeing it is what this passage of Scripture would refer to as as wilderness living, of wandering around unsure of of where you're headed, unsure of what's going to happen. And the result of experiencing of, of not experiencing the new thing, look in verse 20, is desert living. You're wilderness living. It's desert living where life is dry and family is dry and work is dry and church is dry. And we're thirsty and we know we need something, but we just can't seem 
to find what it is that will quench our thirst. See, God wants to do a new thing in a new way. And that's really exciting. Really exciting. Some of you are covering up your excitement in an incredibly good way. It is really exciting that God wants to do a new thing at First Baptist Union. And he wants to do it in a new way. And he wants to use you to turn this community upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So turn it this way and go get them. Look for the new way. Look for the new thing. Look for God to show up in ways that you perhaps have never seen him show up before and chase after him. Go do the new thing. Reach people that you would have never reached before. The folks that don't dress like you. The folks that don't talk like you. The folks that don't look like you. The folks that don't smell like you. Go get them. Go get them. Give to them what they so desperately need so that you can share the gospel, which is their most desperate need. Go get them. Be excited. (laughs) Be excited. Church ought to be the most fun place in town. First Baptistine, it ought to be the most fun place in town. There's no two ways about that. I'm right. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. I'm right. Church ought to be the funnest place around. Go get them with gospel. You bow your heads, close your eyes, will you?